Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Good to see all of you this morning. What a joyous time it is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, there's two types of values in this world. There is the intrinsic value of something or market value, which is what somebody would pay for, like a house when they do an appraisal, or what a diamond ring is worth as the appraiser puts a value on it in value in and of itself. And then there's sentimental value. There's that $1.59 pin that came down from your great-grandmother, and it has meaning to you beyond the $1.59 that they paid for it, right? And we're all familiar with both. And so this morning, as we talk about value, I want to talk to you about the value of the resurrection. Because today we celebrate it, but there is value to it. And so we're going to pick up in verse 3, and we're going to read through verse 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised your faith is worthless you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished for if we have, if we have hope in Christ in this life only we are of all men most to be pitied Verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by man came, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam and all, all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. 
For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is, he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subject to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and I thank you for the fact that Jesus is alive. And Father, as we dive into your word here together, I pray that you will speak to us. I pray that we'll hear your voice that will understand your word, even maybe if it's for the first time. But Father, I pray that your truth will fall upon our heart, that it will change us from the inside out. I can't think of a better day that, Father, if we don't know you, if anybody here doesn't know you, I pray that you'll reveal yourself to them and that they will choose you this morning. Thank you for what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we discuss the value of the resurrection, we're going to see the witnesses of the resurrection. Of, uh, we're going to see if Christ wasn't raised and the fact that Christ has been raised. And so he begins with an argument here, talking about the witnesses to the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is part of the gospel. Now, you guys have heard the word the gospel before. The gospel is uh, one word that we talk about, uh, gospel preaching church. What they're talking about is one who preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So it is part of the gospel, the resurrection, the fact that Jesus, when he gave up his life on the cross, didn't stay dead. But he's alive forevermore. And he begins to lay out witnesses. He lays his case out here. Because there were those who had claimed that there was no such thing as a resurrection. That was the Sadducees. A lot of people say that's why they were sad, you see. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so if there's no hope beyond the grave, what's the point? And they were facing this, this conflict at that time. And so Paul begins to lay out the argument for the resurrection here. And uh, he lists the witnesses, the people who have saw. Eyewitnesses are important in a trial, aren't they? When you bring people up and they say, yeah, I saw him. That's him right there at the defendant's table. Well, he lays out in the same way. This idea, because if you go back to John 20 and read Mary Magdalene, because that's what I was reading that this week about the, the resurrection of Christ. When she first went there, she was upset. She actually thought the body of Jesus had been stolen. And then the angels showed up and Jesus showed up. She starts talking to Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he had a weed whacker. I don't know. But he was there. She thought he was the gardener. And she starts talking to him about where did they take the body. And he reveals himself to her. And it's a beautiful story of the resurrection of Christ. One of the, Paul lays out his case here. 
and he lists several witnesses. One, he lists the Cephas. Now, we don't talk about the individual named Cephas by the name Cephas. We talk about him by the name Peter. Because Peter was one of those disciples who was, we all can identify with, who was rambunctious, who would often charge in without thinking, or it seems that way. But he appeared to Peter. And we know that he appeared to Peter because who were the two disciples who ran to the tomb that Jesus revealed himself to? Peter and John. And so we know from other locations in Scripture that Peter was one. He revealed himself to the twelve. We know that they were all hiding out in this room and then Jesus walked through. The doors were locked and Jesus showed up. The twelve disciples who were there. He revealed himself to them. Then he revealed himself to 500 brethren who were told here most are still alive even some have, even though some have passed away. And so we're at 513 at this point. We have 513 witnesses so far. Then he revealed himself to James. Now, do you all remember who James was? He wasn't just the author of the book of James. He was Jesus' brother. And so he goes to his family, goes to his brother and says, hey, I'm alive. And he sees him. Then he reveals himself to all the apostles. Because that was required for an apostle to have visibly seen Jesus Christ. Lastly, Paul names himself. He said, who once was an enemy, but by God's grace he was saved. And I love that description of himself because you know what? That description is true of us too. We don't come into this world in love with the Lord. We come in an enemy. We come in born in, born in sin. But by the grace of God, he deals with our sin and gives us new life in Christ. And so we can identify with Paul here. So all these people were witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And Paul was personally testifying about his transformation by God's grace through faith. There's evidence to the resurrection. There's evidence. These are witnesses who saw Christ. But now he begins to take apart or look at the implications if Christ had stayed in the grave. If there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no hope beyond death. If there is no hope beyond the grave, what then? What does that mean for us? I'm glad you asked. They were saying there was no resurrection. So Paul lays out his case of what the truth would be had Christ not been raised. The truth would be Christ would still be in the grave. He'd be dead. He'd be in the ground or hidden somewhere. Mary Magdalene, who followed him, thought he'd been stolen. His body had been stolen. If there is no resurrection, then Christ could not have raised from the dead. So he would still be in the ground. He would still be dead. There, and our preaching would be in vain. 
it'd be a show. It wouldn't even be real. It wouldn't have any point. Why even go? Why even do it? It's all for vanity. It's what Ecclesiastes talks about. All the things that are a waste of time. He calls vanity. You ever notice that as you start to get older, you realize the things you wasted some time on when you were younger? Has anybody ever done that? Y'all are all pretty young, so maybe you haven't started doing that yet, but I've started doing that. I've started realizing, wow, you know, we did all this stuff and it was just time and money. And, and we do, we waste time and effort and money on things that are vanity. And so our preaching would be vanity because there'd really be no hope for us. What's the point? Our faith would be vain and worthless. We would have hope of victory over sin and death in a dead man. You know, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But you realize there's religions out there who are in that position today, whose faith and hope is not in Christ? Man, I'm glad that Jesus is alive and has victory over the grave. Amen. Your faith would be in vain and be worthless because there would be no value behind it. There would be nothing redemptive about our faith in Christ because he would still be in the ground. They and we would be false witnesses against God because if we claim that Jesus rose from the grave when he did not, that's a lie. If that were the truth. So we would be a false witnesses. That's, what that, that's where that would leave us. We would still be in our sins. That'd be a shocker, wouldn't it? I don't want to still be in my sins. You know, it's interesting. I thought it was really interesting how you phrased that, that we would be in our sins. You know, when you, get, when you do something wrong in school or at home, you get what? In trouble, Right? We fall into some uh, problem or we fall, we're in something that's trouble. It's really very interesting as you study that. But we would still be in our sins. Not we would still have our sins, but we would be in them. Because that's where we reside if we don't have a relationship with Christ. If we've never put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he goes on. He's laying up the, the opposing argument here. Those who died with faith in Christ have perished. You know, there's an interesting story. And guys, has anybody here heard of New Tribes Missions? They work down in Papua New Guinea. And we have video of this. They wrote a book. It's called From Foundations, where they go from Genesis 1... And it's 50 weeks, and it takes you all the way through the stories of the Old Testament, through the law, through all the things that happen, and it takes you all the way to the cross. And the, this missionary went down there, and he was taking this group of tribesmen through this. 
And as he did that, they got to the cross. And they started coming up, and he went all the way up to the cross. And it started saying, they started coming up and asking questions, saying, somebody needs to save him, somebody needs to save him. And they were crying out for this, to, and he's like, that's next week. And they came back, and he told the story of the cross, and the, the burial, and the resurrection of the dead. And the whole tribe, getting chills, the whole tribe comes to faith in Christ. And they break out in great joy and there's tears and they're praising God. And all of a sudden the hush falls over the crowd. And they begin to weep. It's almost like somebody just hit a switch. And the missionary's going like, what's going on? And he asked them, what's going on? He said, we've just realized that all of our family members who died before us are gone. You see, that's where we would be if Christ was still in the ground. All the hope that we have that we're going to see friends and family again one day. All the hope for the people that we love that had faith in Christ. They've perished if Jesus is still in the ground. If he did not resurrect from the dead. And so... See, they wouldn't have been saved because he really had no power to save them if he's still dead. So if our hope in Christ does not extend beyond this life, we're to be pitied, folks, because our hope has been misplaced and we've been deceived. That was their argument, and that's where their argument would leave us. But I want you to know they're wrong. They're wrong. There is a resurrection from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead. He revealed himself to all these people. And we are not without hope. He is our hope. And he is a living hope. He didn't stay in the ground. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Interceding on our behalf. Because death could not hold him. Because he's overcome it. Here are some of the benefits of the fact that Jesus is alive. He is the first fruits of those who have died. Now, we hear a lot about first fruits as we read the Old Testament. We talk about offerings and sacrifices. And so, what is a first fruit? Because if Jesus is a first fruit, we ought to know what that is. We hear, that, we hear that and use that in church a lot. We'll go, oh yeah, okay. I've heard that before. I really know what it means, but I've heard it. When you started to, whatever your fruit was, whatever you were gleaning from the fields, it's the first part of the harvest that the rest of the harvest, it would indicate the rest of the harvest. Like if, if our stalks of wheat were just packed with, with grains, we knew that we were probably going to find that as we went through. Or the apple trees were almost bending under the weight of all the apples. And we went through and picked. We knew we were going to find that as we went. The first fruits indicated the quality and the expansiveness of the harvest. Jesus is our first fruits. He indicates to us the harvest. 
He indicates by the fact that death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him down, that we too are only passing through on our way to be with him. Amen. Very exciting. Yes. Because I don't have anything to worry about, and if you have put your faith in Christ, you don't need it. That's why we all love this, and, and it's used mostly at funerals. Psalms 23, where he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what a rod and staff do? <laughs> it's a shepherd's tool. He's the great shepherd, right? Y'all seen those bit of the, I think, what is it? Little Bo Peep? And when I think of sheep, I think of little, the big candy cane things. See, Christmas is ruined it for me. <laughs> they're, meant, they're, they're meant for two things. The little hook is meant to go in and grab a sheep and pull him out and save him. But if you spin it around, it's also meant to break the sheep's legs so he doesn't wander off and get in trouble again. And they used to do that. To keep him out of trouble. I'll get you out, but I'm not going to let you get back in. And so that's the thing. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He'll lead us out. But he's going to come break that thing that led us astray. And that's how God works. And so Jesus is the first fruits. His resurrection paved the way for those who die in him. He paved the way. He removed our sin. See, we were born in sin, but now we're born again in Christ. And you know, I got thinking about it. That was really interesting. We talk about the cross a lot, but you know, the only holidays that we actually have are when Jesus was born and when Jesus came alive. You ever thought of that? Christmas, Jesus was born. Easter, Jesus resurrected from the grave. They both relate to, the, to life. I thought it was interesting. A little side note. If you take nothing else today, maybe you're glad you came. <laughs> I see little things like that every now and then. But see, he's alive. He removed our sin. See, you're not just a sinner with the grace of God upon you. You're not left in your sin. He doesn't leave you there. You don't still carry it. Why do I still struggle with sin, Pastor? Because you have a flesh and a mind that hasn't been renewed yet. You ever woke up in the morning and had a pain somewhere where you didn't do anything to cause it? <laughs> You're like, yeah, this morning. <laughs> this body is decaying. I don't look like I looked when I was 16. It changes because it's not been renewed. Our mind is renewed by the washing of the word. But ladies and gentlemen, if you have faith in Christ, you have a brand new spirit. 
when all things pass away and all things become new, that's where we struggle with that verse. Because we say, well, not everything, but who you actually are is a spirit. And that's brand new. That's the beauty of having your sin removed. Now that you're born again in Christ. He makes us alive in Him. See, He quickens us to new life. He never meant, when we were originally created in the garden, before the fall, we were created to live forever. We were created to experience genuine, authentic, eternal life here with Him. Now we ruined that when we ate of the fruit. But he found a way back. They didn't find a way back. He knew from the beginning of the foundation of the world that we were going to need rescuing from ourselves. And so he makes us alive. We come alive. Because you see, there is no, there is no life apart from him. You can't have life out there and then just kind of add Jesus to it. That's what the world thinks. And, the, and most of them thinks we add Jesus so he can make it better. Right? Isn't that kind of the story that's been told? Let me tell you, Jesus doesn't want to make your life better. I put that on the sign. <laughs> Jesus wants to make your life new. Brand new. Fresh. How many of you like the smell of a new baby? A couple of you. <laughs> a couple of you. <laughs> it, de <laughs> it depends on the moment, though, right? <laughs> a newly washed baby. Yeah. Right? You don't just spray a little perfume and think that the baby's fine, right? you got to clean them up. And then the natural, and that's how it works. See, when, when God cleans us up, he takes that sin away from us and gives us new life in Christ. And so we're alive because of him, because he has victory over death, because he didn't stay in the grave. And that's the beauty. He will eventually abolish the enemy, death. You know, I found that very interesting. Have you ever thought of death as an enemy? I've never thought of that until I was reading this passage again. <laughs> we just think of death as death, right? It's dead. We're going to die one day. It's getting closer. But it's an enemy. And I, I started to think about that and ponder that. Why is death an enemy to him? You realize why death is an enemy to the Lord? Because after that, he can't reach you anymore. Death is his enemy because you're beyond his reach at that point. The good news is, if you can hear me, and you're converting oxygen to carbon dioxide, it's not too late for you. It's not too late. Amen. Bible says today's the day of salvation. Because you see, Jesus is alive. 
And we're alive because of what he did. He who is over us will bring all things in subjection to himself. Listen, he is over this whole thing. And the day is coming when he's going to say enough and he's going to end this mess. Amen. He even comes, uh, except for my friend that needs the Lord, right? We would welcome Jesus coming right now, except we've got a friend that needs the Lord, don't we? We'd pray for that and ask him to come, except my friend or my family member or my coworker <laughs> hasn't made a decision yet. That we're aware of. But one day he's going to put an end to this. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we with him? Are we saved? See, Jesus is alive today. How about you? Existence and life are different. Existence and life are different. And so how about you? You know, having discussed the value of the resurrection... There's a few things that we found. There's a ton of there's a ton of witnesses giving evidence to the fact that Jesus is alive. A ton of them here and here. Jesus prayed for us in the garden the night that he was being betrayed. He prayed for those who would believe through their word. That was us. He prayed for you and me. That night before he got kissed on the cheek, your name was on his mind. That's awesome. <laughs> I think I'd be thinking about the cry. I'd be selfish. But he wasn't. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You know, we all like to say that, unless his will is the cross for us something difficult. You know, they don't tell you that in church that you might have to go through something difficult in your walk. Let me tell you something. If you walk with Christ, he said if the world hated him, it's going to hate you too. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We don't have to worry about that because he's overcome it. And so there's a ton of witnesses giving evidence that Jesus is actually alive. Don't have to worry. It's not a question whether he's alive today. He is. He is. There's going to always be people who reject the truth in the face of enormous evidence to the contrary. Now, if you're a truth seeker, I'm going to encourage you to do something. Listen to them. Evaluate what they have to say. And find out if there's any truth to anything they have to say. Two things will happen. It will re it, go to God's word. Take what they say. Go to God's word. It will reassure you in your faith. And it opens doors into a relationship that could lead to salvation. So listen to them. Let people talk. 
Isn't that how we find out about somebody? We ask questions. What's some of the first questions we ask is, where do you live? What do you do? What brought you here? Are you friends with so-and-so? You find common interest, then you begin to talk about that. Usually if there's a group and it's a techie conversation, they leave me in the dust. And I sit there going, that's super nice. Fantastic, I empower you to that new height. You have a cheering section, yay. You know that little cartoon where they, it goes blah, 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 spot, the dog is sitting there, that's me in that conversation. I'm not technically advanced at all. I grew up when XTs and ATs came out and the internet didn't exist. We knew what a ball was when we all were younger. Not because it was a picture on, on the internet, it's because we used it. <laughs> and some of us said, half. <laughs> right? When do you come in at night? When you're out playing, when the street light comes on, thank you. And if you don't have street lights, it's when the sun goes down. We're just living in the country. And so if you're a truth seeker, listen to them and evaluate your arguments against Scripture to see if there's any accuracy there because we want the truth no matter what it is. But we're also building relationships. And that's the way it works. Three, you must decide if you believe he is alive or not. That's what we're left with from this. Then, after you make that decision, you're going to have to make a decision. If you say that he's dead, I would assume that you are all here today because you believe he's alive. Yes. Yes. Amen? Yes. Or you believe he's alive-ish. Okay? If we believe he's alive and we take the claims that Christ has made about salvation and eternal life, in the penalty of not choosing him, we're forced with a decision. Whether we're going to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as payment for our sins today or not. And I will tell you this. If you say, not yet, not today, later, that's a no. Because you're saying no to him today. Not right now. Because if we believe that he's alive, then we must at least investigate what he said, right? If we're honest and genuine seekers, and we have to decide whether we believe it and accept it or not. If you've never done, let me tell you how that works. The thing that scared me the most was having to walk down an aisle. And you know what I found? I've got good news for you. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where they walk down an aisle. Did you know that? I would challenge you to find that. If you find it, then I'll revive. I want you to all come back. We'll do Easter 2.0 next Sunday. And I will, I will correct myself. I hope you all come back anyway. <laughs> All you have to do is pray to the Father and confess to Him that you're a sinner 
that you can't save yourself and choose, tell them I put my faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if that's true, and if you meant all that and that all reflected your heart, he'll save you right where you are. Amen. Amen. We are that close. You are that close from new life in Christ. From your sins sailing off into the sunset never to be seen again. Well, we're going to face them in judgment one day. Yeah, but not for our sins. Isn't that cool? If you're a Christian. Where were they judged? They were judged on the cross. Isn't that cool? How many of you would love to, to put all your sins in a boat and let them sail off and sink in the ocean? Amen? Not me, because some salvager would go find them. <laughs> It'd be an artificial reef. But listen, we have to make the decision. You know, it's interesting few years back, and I'm going to date myself with this, <coughs> and if it dates you too, I just want to welcome you to the crowd. There was a show called Candid Camera. Yeah. Y'all remember that show? The yes. original. Yeah, the original with Alan Funt. And they took kids, and they were doing this study on generosity, and they took kids and they put them in this room, and Alan Funt was there, and the child was there, and there was a plate of cookies in front of them. There's at least two. There might have been more, but it was at least two. And there were several cookies, but or, or, there was at least two. But one cookie out of all of them was like super large. And Alan told them, he said, you can have one cookie. I need to go here, but while I'm gone, you can have one cookie. Any cookie you want on the plate. And so he leaves the room and comes back and in that study, the kids all chose the large cookie. That's not a surprise, is it? Well, Alan began to, began to ask this one child this question. He began to ask me, he said, why did you pick the big cookie? If I had been left, I would have picked the small cookie and left you the big cookie. And the little kid, without a hesitation, said, well, then you got the one you wanted. <laughs> I just, not even a, there's like no hesitation. See, what we value determines the decisions we make in life. And if we value Christ, And understand the value of the resurrection, it will change the decisions we make. If we value ourselves over others, we're going to take what's best for us. And so the things we value, you can look back, and maybe you don't want to. Sometimes I don't want to either, so welcome to the crowd. We look back and go, that really reveals something about me. Listen, today, there's a choice before us. It's a simple choice. 
But it can be a challenging choice to make because we're afraid. Because we think the enemy starts lying to us, say, well, you're going to have to give all this up. You have to give this up. If I offered you a million dollars for a $20 bill, how many of you would go, I got a 20 right here? <laughs> right? We would. Because we're giving up something lesser for something greater. The problem is, is we don't understand that he's something greater. The enemy tells us that he's lesser and he wants to take from you. I want you to know he wants to give to you. He wants to give you new life. He wants to give you a life free from your sin. He wants to give you understanding of his word. He wants to give you insight to the spiritual things going on around you. He wants to give to you, not take from you. And the only things that he takes from us are things we really wish we could sell, off, sell it off and sink it out there. That's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. That's the good news that's in Christ. That's what Easter is all about. If Jesus is still in the grave, we have no hope, but he's alive today. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, praying, interceding for you. That if you know him, that you would come to know him greater. That if you don't know him, that you would come to know him. And you say, why would he want somebody like me? He wanted you when you were his enemy. He wanted you when you had no thought of him. He wanted you because you, I think, have not only intrinsic value because he created you. I think he has some sentimental value because it was something that he lost. I think he has value beyond your value. I think it's both. And if you have never put your faith in Christ Jesus, this morning you can do that. You don't have to walk out of here wondering and having that question unresolved or not knowing where you're going to go when you die or not understanding um, what God's doing in your life. That can be resolved this morning. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. 